0: Exodus chapter number 15 this morning. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 22. The Word of God says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of shore, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. I want you to look back at verse number 25. The Bible says, "...and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters..." The waters were made sweet. There He made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there He proved them. Father, we thank You for this time. Lord, we know this time is a gift from You. There's many that didn't make it here this morning, weren't able to be, and Lord, some that have left to be absent from the body and to be present with You. Lord, You've allowed us as a gift these next few moments, and You've brought us here. So, Lord, I pray that what You brought us here for would be accomplished. And I pray that each and every person in this room, that their hearts would be yielded and open and malleable to the wooing and working of Your Spirit and to the preaching of Your Word. And, God, that ere we leave this place, we'll know we've met with You. But, Lord, also we'll know that we've given more of ourselves over to You. And, Lord, that You've been glorified. Now, Father, I've asked You to do this. And I've counted You faithful, Lord. I know You'll answer. And I ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. When we read in Exodus chapter 15, we have the first stop along the way. After the children of Israel have left Egypt's bondage, they have crossed over the Red Sea. And they begin to travel. And Moses leads them by the wilderness to a place by the name of Shore. Now, Shore literally means a walled up place. And when they get there, I do not know what they were expecting, but evidently they were expecting water. Because when they get there, there's no water there. And Scripture makes a very distinct note of the fact that this disrupted or disturbed their plans. They go along a little further and they find a place that has water. I do not know the original name of it, but afterwards they called it Mara, which means bitterness. It's the word from which we get our name Mary in the New Testament, and her name meant bitterness as well. But they named this place Bitterness or Bitter, because when they arrive there, they find a pool of water, they find a resource, but when they begin to drink of it, it is, it is sour to the taste, it is bitter to the belly, it is dangerous to the health, And they spit it out, and with utter disdain, they step back and look at this place and pronounce bitterness upon the fountain that is there. Now they are left in a place where they do not know what to do. They do not know where to go. Now, as we sit here this morning, this may not seem like a very important thing, but I promise if you were sitting in the wilderness along with them, you'd understand that this was very much life and death for them. And they had to know where to go. They had to know what to do. You see, the problem that they had come up with is they had ran into a place that had water, but it had bitter waters. You know, when I begin to think about the idea of bitterness in our life, I I find a beautiful truth in the Word of God. I, I began to think about what makes bitter waters bitter. You know, there can be a number of things. But we understand this, that water in and of itself is not bitter by itself. Somebody say amen to that. It's not bitter in and of itself. In fact, you might say this, that it is what is put into the waters that makes it bitter. Uh, I began to think about this last night. Now, I tried to look around and think about different areas and bodies of water. You know, we're blessed here in East Tennessee. Everywhere you turn, there's a river, there's a creek, there's a lake. And I thought about all the various lakes we've got around here. And I sort of stopped and thought to myself, what is one lake that I would not want to drink out of? What is one body of water that no matter how thirsty I was, it'd probably be tough to get me to take a big old swig out of and a big old drink out of? I sort of, you know, thought about the Tennessee River, the you know, the Holston and French Broad converging. And uh, if you ever drive down over that part of town, look in. It don't look too appealing. Somebody say amen to that. But there was one that beat the rest of them out. I thought to myself, just for my good health, If there was one place I probably wouldn't want to go take a big drink of the water, it might just be Melton Hill Lake. Now, if you're not from around here, that don't mean much to you. But if you're from around here, the second that I said Melton Hill Lake, you began to picture catfish with four eyes. You began to picture snakes that glow in the dark. Because Melton Hill Lake is situated up by all the uh, power and industrial plants. And I began to think about the water that's in Melton Hill Lake. If I was to take a big cup of it and bring it over to the probably wouldn't be a single person in this room. It wouldn't matter how much we paid them, how much we shamed them, how much we bribed them. They'd say, no, sir, preacher, I'm not going to drink that water. I know what's in that water. But you know, it's not really the water. It's what's been dumped into it over the years. In fact, if you were to go about 277 miles upstream from the Melton Hill Dam, You'd find a place by the name of Buckhorn Mountain in Tazewell, Virginia. And there on Buckhorn Mountain, you'd find a creek that goes by the name of Clear Creek. And there when the waters fall from heaven and when the snow uh, that is as pure as can be begins to dry and to melt and to flow, it begins to carry steam down off of Buckhorn Mountain. And 277 miles later, that very water will find its place into Melton Hill Dam. If you were to go another about 23 miles later on down the river, you'd find uh, the Kingston Ashville. Some of you all remember that. And it just gets worse from there. If you were to go up onto Buckhorn Mountain in Taswell, Virginia, I'd say probably any of us would take a big old drink of water from Clear Creek. But when you follow that water and it begins to pick up the dirt and the sludge and the animal droppings and the diseases, when it flows through towns and picks up industrial waste, when it gets all the way down to Milton Hill Dam and picks up the industrial waste from that city, you're in a place where you don't want to get anywhere near it. You know, life's sort of that way. Just as the water is a gift from the God of heaven, And it's pure, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'd say that life is a gift from the God of heaven. I'd say most of us could acknowledge that it's not life that's the problem. It's what gets put into our life that sometimes causes problems. Life in and of itself is not a bitter thing. I think about a little baby. When a baby is born, they're so perfect. They're so beautiful. Everything works. Nothing hurts. And uh, you look at that perfect little baby, so much life bristling and beaming uh, from its eyes and from its face. And you look at it and you think often to yourself how precious it would be to go back to a time before all the heartache of life began, before all the suffering of life began. You look at a child and their childlike innocence and think to yourself, they just don't know what life might turn out to be. You see, it's not the life itself that's the problem. But if you walk this earth some 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, you'll find there'll be a lot of stuff get dumped into your life. And if you're not careful, you'll let what gets dumped into your life begin to make you bitter. You know, bitterness is a scary thing, and I'll tell you why, because it's a subtle thing. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness, It doesn't talk about leaves of bitterness. It doesn't talk about a trunk of bitterness. It doesn't talk about a tree of bitterness. Oh, certainly it can grow up into that, but it begins as a root of bitterness. And if you were to look at those waters up at Melton Hill, they might not, just looking at them, look all that different from the waters in Clear Creek on Buckhorn Mountain. Maybe they'd be a little murkier. Maybe they'd be a little cloudier. But if you were able to look in and see all of the dangerous things that have crept their way into that water, you'd know what a danger it'd be to let that enter your system. And in the same respect, I look around this room and we've got a room full of people this morning. And there might be some people in here that you'd look at them. You'd never know there's anything wrong. You'd never know. I mean, you look at them versus somebody else and they seem happy and they seem okay. But if you could somehow get a spiritual microscope and see in The depths of their soul, you might see some dangerous things creeping there that they've allowed to take root and to affect the way they live. When Moses and the children of Israel come to these waters, they find that there's nothing wrong with the waters. In fact, they were in a better shape than they were before because they had been in a place where there was no waters. But when they get there, they find that they've been polluted. I wonder what are some things that might pollute the waters of. Our life. I want you to look at our text. I want you to notice three things. Look at verse number 22. The Bible says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of shore, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no waters. Can I say this? That one of the ruining agents of our life sometimes can be the detours that our life takes. Is your life today what you thought it was going to be 20 years ago? I'd say most of us would have to admit that there's things that we haven't planned on. I'd say most of us would have to admit. I always think it's it's kind of funny. It's going to seem ugly, and I hope it don't offend nobody. But I think about young young kids in college, and man, they're so optimistic. They're so bright eyed, and they just everything's going to work out. And uh, you know, they ought to go down to McDonald's sometime and see people with with bigger degrees than theirs sitting there working at McDonald's. You know, I mean, you know, they always think it's going to work out. They always think it's going to go as well as they plan. I'm not being critical. I'm not being cynical. If that's what God has for your life, by all means, go for it. And by the way, I don't think I'm better than the person down there flipping the burgers at McDonald's either. I think if that's what you've got to do to make ends meet, God bless you. You ought to do it, and I believe God will bless it. But what I am saying is this, that most folks don't plan for that to be the end of their life. Most folks did not set out for that to be the case. Certainly, we could look at people in this world that have been ravaged by drugs and alcohol and illicit relationships, and they never planned for that to happen. They didn't look for that to happen. I used to tell the young people when I was a youth pastor, you know, we was kind of in a rough part of town. And when the church bus took you to church, you got a whole life lesson just riding to church over in that neighborhood. And, uh, I I mean, listen, I've had people in my Sunday school classes that had to see the... Their mamas out on the corner when they were being brought to church on the church bus. And uh, I used to tell the young people, when you see that lady down on the street corner, she didn't plan for her life to turn out that way. When you see the bum down in the gutter with a bottle in his hand, he didn't plan for his life to turn out that way. When you see the fella down in the ditch with a needle in his arm, he didn't plan for life to go that way. We never plan for things to go bad. We never plan for things to go wrong. There's probably people in this room uh, that have things that have happened in their life. I- I'm talking about you. you. You didn't plan for your marriage to go that way. You didn't plan for your kids to go that way. You didn't plan for your health to go that way. But somewhere along the way, a detour came up in your way. I mean, sometimes because the detours in life, people can get bitter. It didn't happen the way I wanted, preacher. Well, no, but is God still on His throne? (laughs) Is God still on His throne? It may not happen the way you wanted it. Can you imagine how discouraged that they were? They had just seen God part the Red Sea, but now they come to a place and they're worried if God can even provide. Well, I think about that in our lives. Oh, Lord, help me now. I think about that. You know, the greatest miracle that ever happened in your life was the day you were born again. That is the greatest miracle that has ever taken place in your life or in my life. God has done a lot of things in my life, but He's never done anything as big as the day that He saved me from hell and from my sin. He's done some big things. But sometimes, even though God has parted that Red Sea, we come to some places of barrenness and we begin to worry whether God can provide for us. I think sometimes the detours of life... I want you to notice the second thing. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. The Bible says, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. I don't know if you notice a theme, but did you notice that in that verse, if you count bitterness and Marah as being synonymous one with another, that one, two, three, four times in one little verse, they've used the word bitterness. Bitter, bitter, bitter. I think probably the disappointments of life can sometimes make us bitter. I think sometimes some things that we've worked hard for that don't turn out the way we expected them to turn out can make us bitter in our life. You may be in this room, and this may be redundant, I don't know, but I'm trying to trust the Lord to do exactly what needs to be done and to say exactly what needs to be said this morning. You may be in this room, and you listen, you thought your kids were going to turn out a lot better than they did. Come on now. I shouldn't have to do a backflip. If that's you, just say amen to it. You, you you thought things was going to... It's been a disappointment to you. Maybe you thought, listen, you thought your money situation was going to turn out different. One thing about money, everybody wants more of it. Somebody say amen to that. Maybe you thought you weren't going to wind up in this station in life. But it's been a disappointment to you. I wish I could tell you there's nothing that I've ever been disappointed in in my life. But that's not the reality of things. Here's the reality. You're going to be disappointed. What are you going to do with the disappointment. I think probably the disappointments in life. Look at the next verse, verse 24. The Bible says this, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? I think the defeats of life sometimes can make us bitter. They're at a place where they don't know what to do next. Next. I do not know this to be so, but I can sort of believe it. If they've gone three days through the wilderness, I don't know if you know this, but you can go about 40 some odd days without eating, but you can only go about two, three days without drinking liquid before your body will succumb to death. It very well could have been that they had gone into the wilderness and they had nothing left and they had nowhere to turn and they had nothing that they could do. I don't think when they murmured against Moses that they were being unreasonable. I think they were being perfectly reasonable because they turn and look at Moses and say, what are we going to do now? We don't know where to turn and we don't know what to do. I think about what it says when it uses the term sure, walled up. You ever felt walled up in life? You ever felt like you just didn't know where to turn or what to do or where to go? You wanted things to get better, but you didn't see a clear path forward. I, I sort of laughed. I, the the you know the in the presidential election, Carson he he for a couple of days there he said I am not suspending my campaign, but he said I see no clear path forward as of right now. And I thought to myself, well, that's that's a pretty dire diagnosis, I would say. When the guy running for president says, I see no path forward, it might just be time to sewer up and go on home. Somebody say amen. And, uh, you know, you ever felt like that in your life? You saw no path forward. You was unhappy. You wanted things to change. You wanted things to be different. But you'd done everything you could do. You'd prayed. You'd beg. You'd ask God. And there you were, stuck in the same place you were five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. You know, sometimes that can make folks bitter if they're not careful. We see some ruining agents in their life that bittered the water. But I want you to notice the resource that was available to them. What happened? How did it end? Well, look what it says in verse number 25. The Bible says this, And he, speaking of Moses, cried unto the Lord, and the Lord, I like this, the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a second. This is the God of all creation. Uh, he had just parted the Red Sea. You're telling me he couldn't sweeten the waters? But that's not what he said. They didn't pray and say, God, please change this. And he just waved a magic wand and changed it. No, he gave them a path and a provision and something that they had to do. What did he say? He said, I want you to look over here. There's a particular tree that you're going to have to look to. And if you'll take this tree, Moses, and put it into those waters, then it'll remedy the bitterness of it. Can I say to you that for us in this day of grace... Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're, you're you're grappling with, listen. There's people in this room with real problems. I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be ugly. Everybody's problems are important, but you understand that. I mean, there is, some everybody's are important, but some are more important. Somebody say Amen to that. If you want to think that's your problem that's more important, that's fine. You're at liberty to do that. But I'm just telling you, there's folks facing things that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to change. I'm not talking about just piddly things. I'm not talking about small things. I'm talking about people who, whose whose homes and lives and well-being are in the balance. What do we do? Well, we look to the tree and we place it in the waters. And there and there alone can we find the help. We know which tree we're talking about because the Bible says this, uh, that uh, Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You see, the cross, when properly applied, gives us the invigorating spiritual strength we need to face whatever we're coming up against. I think about what was said here, said, look to the tree, look to the tree. I would say this, and, and let me just be a topical preacher for a second. Let me say this. Number one, look to the Savior of the cross when you're struggling with bitterness. Look to the Savior of the cross when you're struggling with bitterness. By the way, did you know you don't have to be bitter at somebody to be bitter? You can be bitter at nobody. You can be bitter at yourself. You can be bitter at your circumstances. You can be bitter at one person. You can be bitter at a whole group of people. You can be bitter at absolutely nobody and just be mad and bitter and unhappy. What do you do? Well, the first thing is you look to the One that conquered death to the Savior of the cross. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews and chapter number 2. But we see Jesus... The Hebrew writer said now, he just talked about all the angels and he talked about all of creation, and all of the majesty. And he said, we, there, there's all these things that, that uh, uh, testify and are a testament to God's glory and his power. But what did God point our eyes in the direction of? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Isn't that interesting? Now, can I ask you a question? I don't want you to answer right away. I want you to think about it. That King James Bible just said that God made Jesus Christ perfect. is that what it just said? Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was already perfect. Somebody say amen to that. Am I right? That He he knew no sin. In Him was no sin. He did no sin. What's being said here is this. It did not make Jesus perfect in God's eyes, for He was already perfect in God's eyes. But it did make Him mature, complete, and perfected for what we need in our eyes. Let me explain a little further, or let me let the Hebrews writer explain. And in chapter 4, it says this, Seeing, then, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. That bitterness you feel, he was tempted by it. If ever there was somebody prone to be tempted by bitterness, wouldn't you say it'd be the smitten and sacrificed Son of God? But what does it say? (laughs) But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore. You like that word, therefore, right? Because that, that, that predicates something. That, that says here's something that we've just read because of this, in light of this, in the, in, in, in light of the truth and the scope of what's just been said. Because we have a high priest, because we saw him crowned with death, because he's suffered and been made a perfect captain for our salvation, because of all these things, because whatever you've been through, he's been through, because whatever you're suffering with, he's suffered with, and because he's still within reach, it's not he was touched with the feelings of our infirmity. If He is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Because when your heart beats, God heart beats. Because when your heart aches, God's heart aches. Because He is still attuned through the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. An enthroned Savior is present to intercede. Let us therefore, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'd say, first off, if you're struggling with bitterness today, find yourself at the foot of the Savior and ask Him for the help that you need to overcome it. I'd say, number two, not only look to the, to the Savior of the cross, but I'd say look to the sacrifice of the cross. Can I give you an example? Listen to what it says in Romans 6.6. 6. Knowing this, that our old man... Now, who's our old man? That's not your granddaddy. Amen. Your old man, he's the fellow that gets his feelings hurt. That old man, he's the one that got done wrong. Somebody say amen. He's the one that was better than that. He's the one that didn't deserve that. He's the one that that, that shouldn't have been put through that. You understand what I'm saying? All those feelings. I don't deserve this preacher. I didn't ask for this. I didn't plan for this. I didn't want this. I didn't treat them that way, but they treated me that way. The fellow that says all that, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Paul said this in Galatians chapter five. He says, "And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Listen now, with the affections and lusts. In other words, that unrequited love, the old man that had that unrequited love, he's been crucified. That fellow that that's waiting for an apology, he's been crucified." <laughs> Uh, What what about the disappointments in life? Well, all the lusts, they've been crucified. All the things that we desire. You know what the truth is here? When you were born again, when you asked Christ to forgive you and save you of your sins, your old man was laid to death with Jesus Christ. And now the new man walks in faith and in total devotion to Him. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter number 2. I want to give you a third thing. We ought to look to the Savior of the cross. We ought to look to the sacrifice of the cross. But First Peter chapter 2 says this in verse 19, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. We, see, we don't like that. The old man doesn't like that. The old man, he, he, he's, he's owed something better, right? That's what we think. I, I don't deserve this. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who, listen now, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. In other words, we ought to look not only to the Savior of the cross and ask for his strength and help and grace, we ought not only look to the sacrifice of the cross and say, my old man has been crucified, has been buried with, uh, the, with Jesus Christ upon Calvary, but we ought to look to the suffering example of the one, that died on the cross, and the way He suffered. And that ought to be our measure. Have you ever felt this way? I want you to listen carefully. You ever had an interaction with somebody, and afterwards you thought, boy, I wish I had said this? You ever? Isn't that funny? We all go stupid when we get into an argument, don't we? That ought to tell us something. Afterwards, man, we... we, I mean, boy, I would have really burned them. I would have really told them. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're saying, Preacher... I have half a mind to give them a piece of my mind. Well, you better be careful, because that math don't add up. Somebody say amen. You may not have much left after it's all said and done. Preacher, I ought to just tell them what Jesus Christ did. I would propose to you that He was wronged far more than you were wronged. You know, we're all sinners. I know it seems trite to say sometimes, but we're all sinners. Every single one of us. In fact, there's not a single thing that we could endure in life, but what we deserve far worse. And we have a tendency sometimes to think, I'm owed better than this. I deserve better than this. No, if we got what we deserve, we'd be in hell right now. But what about one that really didn't deserve it? How did he act? Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he threatened not again. What did he do? He committed himself unto him who judgeth righteously. You see, that's the proper response. I know it's not easy. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, satisfy your sense or your longing for vengeance or for recompense. But the reality is that if we had vengeance and recompense, none of us could stand it because we'd all be in hell today. So what do I do, preacher? You commit yourself unto him that judgeth righteously. Commit yourself to Him who has the right to judge. Commit commit yourself to Him who, when He exercises the right to judge, He'll judge rightly. Because the judge of all the earth doeth right. He doeth well. Truth is, the only way we can overcome it is by looking to the cross and realizing that that old man is dead and he ought to be laid to rest. And we ought to mortify the deeds of the body. Realizing that in Jesus Christ, He'll give us both the grace and the example to suffer in a way that glorifies God. What's the result? We see the ruining agents. We see in this passage the the resource that's available. But I want you to notice the results afterwards. What happened? Well, look at verse number 25. The Bible says this in verse 25. The waters were made sweet. You see, the truth is, most of us, we want God to dig us another well. But God wants to sweeten the waters that we have to drink from. We want God to come in and change everything around where we don't have to deal with our bitterness. In fact, it'd be best if He just came in and did that and allowed us to keep our bitterness. That way we could go through life feeling like we're really somebody. Because, listen, there's no one more insufferable than someone who isn't a martyr but thinks they're a martyr. Let me say that again. Just because it felt good to say it. There's nobody more insufferable than somebody who's not a martyr who thinks they're a martyr we'd love to just carry that around with us. You know why that little chip on our shoulder, it it, it relieves us of having to deal with people. Because when somebody gets close, we can just push them away. Say, no, you'd hurt me like the rest. It allows us to live without ever putting trust in another human being. No, God won't let us live that way. You know what He does? He doesn't lead us to a new well. He just sweetens the water that we're standing by. How could that happen? Well, I want you to listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Now, some folks are not really enduring a fiery trial. They just think they are. And some folks are enduring a a trial, but it's not really a a trial. It's more just the, the just desserts and fruits of their own actions. But anybody that's bitter, they think they're enduring a fiery trial. I've never met anyone who was bitter who said, it really ain't a big deal, preacher, but I'm bitter about it anyway. We always think that we are the victim. That's fine. Go ahead and think that. Here's what God says to you. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing hath happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also... With exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now listen carefully, I don't know when we thought that becoming more Christ like wouldn't involve suffering, but somewhere along the way we've tricked ourselves into believing that we can be Christ like without ever having to endure suffering. When, in fact, the entire ministry of Christ was defined and declared through suffering. You say you want more God on your life? Well, if you suffer, that's, that's having more of the Spirit of God and of glory upon your life. I want to be careful with what I say here. I, I don't necessarily believe that that glory follows or I don't necessarily believe that glory is the product of suffering, but I do believe that glory follows suffering. You know what you may find? You may find this, that whatever you're going through becomes the greatest channel to knowing God that you've ever experienced. You ever stop to think about the Apostle Paul and that thorn in the flesh? Three times he begged God to take it away. Three times God said, no, Paul. Afterwards, Paul says this, I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You ever stop and think about Paul was begging God to take away the very thing in his life that would bring God the most glory? He couldn't see it when he was praying that way. But thankfully, listen, that our needs always trump our wants in the prayer closet. Sometimes God doesn't give us a want because He'd rather give us a need in our life. And Paul was begging God, God, take it away. Take it. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it to be a part of it. And time and again, God said, no, Paul, no, Paul, no, Paul. And it took some time, but eventually those waters were made sweet to him. And when he drank in a big gulp of it, he saw that the power of Christ rested upon him. He saw that the glory of God glowed all over his life. It may be that our trouble is we're trying to spit it out, but God's made it's sweet, and if we'll drink it in, God will use it in our lives. I see in this passage that the purified waters were a result. I see the precious wisdom they gained was a result. Look at verse number 25 at the next phrase. It says the waters were made sweet. And then what happened? There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. How did he do that? And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken, to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Now I want you to stop and think about something for a moment. This statute, this ordinance, this covenant, if that's what we want to call it, that God makes them. He says this, If you'll walk with me, if you'll walk with me, I won't put any diseases on you. If you'll do my statutes, I won't put any diseases on you. If you'll follow me, I won't put any diseases on you. But look at the next thing that he says. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. In other words, God says this. In a perfect world, everything would always be perfect. But in this world, you need a God that can heal and that can work in your heart and life. If you'll walk, if you'll do, if you'll obey, if you'll behave, then you won't have those problems. But you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. And sometimes we mess up, and sometimes we go the wrong way. And so I'm thankful to report to you this morning that when we go the wrong way, when we bring pain on us, when we bring hurt on us, the Lord God, Jehovah, is able to heal us and to work in our lives. Boy, what a beautiful piece of wisdom that God gave them. They couldn't have learned that if they hadn't come to the bitter waters. Listen. That, those, that lesson, that wasn't at the wells of Elam. That was at the bitter waters of Mara. There may be things you're going through. There's things that we, that I may know Him, Paul said. That I may know Him. In the power of His resurrection, He said, the fellowship of His suffering. There's some things you're only going to learn the hard way. There's some things, listen, you want to know what it's like to be more Christ-like? Forgive someone that never asked for forgiveness. Accept an apology that's never offered. Because that's exactly what God did for you and I. I'd say that there was a precious wisdom that was bestowed upon them. But then finally, I want you to notice this. The provided wells that they stumbled on. This is interesting. Verse number 27 says this. And they came to Elam. Where were twelve wells of water and three score and ten palm trees and they encamped there by the waters. Now I want to go ahead and tell you that I'm not a bright individual. I'm not, I, I don't have any, I'm not a master of geography. I don't have any, but if I was to look at the ecosystem they're in, they had been in the wilderness. And I've never been to the desert. Can I confess that to you? I've never been. But I'm pretty sure if you're in the desert, if you're in the wilderness, and you stumble up upon twelve wells of water and ten palm trees, you know what you found? You found yourself an oasis. As they stumbled along, they could have never imagined that just outside of sight was the easy path that they were begging and pleading God for. God wouldn't bring them there till they drank. Of the waters that had been made sweet. You know what you may find in your life? I don't know this. But you may find this. That just beyond forgiveness lies deliverance. Just beyond forgiveness lies deliverance. It could be that God's trying to teach you something in your life. Did you know this? Did you know that God doesn't uh, doesn't savor the suffering of His children? God doesn't sit up in heaven and enjoy watching us suffer. It does not bring glory to God for us to be bitter, and it does not bring joy to God for us to suffer and experience those things. God's not sitting up in heaven laughing and cackling and rejoicing in our suffering. God doesn't want to see us suffer. You understand, when your heart breaks, His heart breaks. He's going through this just as much as you're going through this. So if you're still standing by the bitter waters... It's probably because God's not done with you there yet. And He's got something for you to deal with before you move on. It could be that if you'll learn that lesson, that just beyond that forgiveness you'll find deliverance in an oasis and the thing that you've been looking for. I've never found a Christian with a grudge and with a song. Never found a Christian that had both. If you want to keep your grudge, that's fine. But you'll have to give your song up. If you want your song back, it's time to let go of the grudge and ask God to deliver you.